What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Can I Kick It? This is your host, Elliot Barr. Joining me, as always, my good man, Shanir Duran II. See, I didn't give you a chance to do it this time. You didn't. You didn't. You, no. didn't. you just ran right through that. I did. I did. I feel <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> I feel proud of that. That's my achievement for today. <laughs> but I don't think that achievement compares to anything to about the guy we're about to talk to right now. The guy that we kind of nicknamed Yoda. Yeah. I, I mean, his pedigree alone, man, it stands up there. It stands up there. I, I'll give him the go title. Definitely. I'll give him the go definitely. title. Definitely. In terms of, of black coaches. Not I mean, black coaches. Coaches, period. Coaches, period. <laughs> Leave I mean, the legacy. To, to... Oh, man. Yeah. So, let's get into this. All right. So, Lincoln Phillips. You're right. If you don't know now, you should have known by the title because you clicked on the episode. Yes. <laughs> the guy out of Trinidad and Tobago. Man. Yo, so, all right. So, Lincoln Phillips, born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, starts off playing there. Did not even know that he was playing for the national team at the moment. Like, was the number one player for the national team and Shaka Islam. Did I say his name right this time? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> if you know the podcast, you're not have a hard time saying it. <laughs> um, I mean, if you if you're wondering who Shaka Islop is, um, ESPNFC. Yeah, he's the, <laughs> the guy with the really strong Caribbean accent <laughs> on yeah. that show. Um, so pretty much, even he says that Lincoln Phillips is the greatest national team player of all time. Like he is the greatest Trinidadian Tobago player of all time. Not only for what he did on the field. But more so what he's done off the field. His accomplishments off the field are mind-boggling. Yes. I mean... Some of his accomplishments and some of the footprints that he has left on college soccer, on U.S. soccer, is amazing. Oh, so amazing. I mean, think about, for instance, he's he only played that in seven international games for Trinidad and Tobago. Three of them happened. Three of those games were played against Chelsea, Wolves, and Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that's a great international start to somebody's career. Um, but he starts playing against those teams. And they actually going on and win the Pan American Games in 67. Um, they finished winning the bronze that year. And it's kind of weird, but after 68, because he attended college in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, um, he leaves because he gets drafted in the NASL by the Baltimore Bays. Trinidad Tobago doesn't select him anymore to be number one. And I, I don't know if you did, but I could not find a reason as to why they did not pick him up anymore. Like, it's no more than picking up the phone and be like, hey, we got a game of the fifth. You want to play? <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy's your number one. You should yeah. want him to play. Well, I mean, in the, today's day and age, it's it's mind-boggling to see that. It's It's strange to see it would it would be unheard of for a player who traveled abroad not to be called back um you look for example at today and ever since the 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 mid to late 90s from then on to today brazil's national team is probably entirely made up of players that are playing in europe yeah. Um, I mean, imagine Brazil, like, Ederson leaves Brazil. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to go play in England. And Brazil's like, all right, 
You're not going to be our number one anymore. Like, <laughs> so, on the time like this, most people stayed within their countries with regards to playing soccer. It, there wasn't as much, especially in the Western Hemisphere. In Europe, it wasn't it wasn't as much. I mean, you, if you look, for example, in England, you look around this time, around the 60s, around the 70s, teams like Manchester United, Liverpool, um, Chelsea, Nottingham Forest were basically entirely English players. Um, yeah. Recently... So you think it's more of like... If you look for example... If you want somebody that's local... Exactly. This is not you, that whole you want, okay. you want someone. Yeah, who's that makes local. sense. But still, um, he's your number one. You can call him up. I know. I know <laughs> who he is. But all right, in this time of period, you got to think about the the ramifications yeah. of that and how let's not get, how much I, that would go into. Let's not get hung up on that. But sixty eight, he gets drafted and whatnot by the Baltimore Bays, mm-hmm. and he only stays there for one year. And this is not his first time playing professional soccer. He played already in Trinidad and Tobago, I think, for the regiment and Maple. Um, yes. Already. But he's drafted by Baltimore Bays in the NASL, and then he leaves them after a year, goes to the ASL. I swear, America and these soccer leagues are like the alphabet soup. Oh, goodness. <laughs> the, the amount of different acronyms they have is it just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to the Washington Darts, and there he is not only the player, but he's also a player coach. Yes. Um, he stays there for two years, but... While he's there in Washington, and this is what we found in the Jet Magazine article from November 21st, 1967. See, this is why my history details come into play. I mean, yeah. 68. Um, he's the first ever black head coach in professional soccer history. Like, how is that a fact that has never been talked about? <laughs> why have we never talked about this, guys? <laughs> I, need, I need answers. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't give you an answer. I don't know. Um, it's it's strange because we just came out of a period of of pride here in Richmond of having a, a black head coach for the Richmond Kickers. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really strange to know that this man, who not only was the first. Uh, black head coach in American soccer history, but also with the track record he has, that, that that's saying something. Yeah. That's saying a lot because, <clears throat> excuse me, not only is he the first, but he took the game by storm. He's changed so much in the game. He he left his footprint on the American game. Most definitely did, and I mean. While he's there to watch, it's not like he's there just doing a mediocre job. This team goes six wins, I think one loss, or one draw. There wasn't really a way to draw. They just threw the record out there. So I don't know if it was win, loss, draw, or win, draw, loss. Mm-hmm. But regardless, they scored 22 goals. Like, <laughs> like, And this is kind of like the early trend of Lincoln Phillips teams, these juggernaut teams that can win. That can win, win, that know how to put the ball in the back of the net and can devastate you on the attack. Yeah. So, I mean, while he's at Washington Darts, of course, we all know, he gets the job at Howard Bison, and he's still playing, like, still playing professionally, but he started coaching Howard, started focusing more on them, and I swear, like, I I want to have a podcast, and I hope you feel the same way when I say this, I I want to have a podcast dedicated specifically to the Howard team. 
to, to they the power. Are, I we need a podcast that talks about the, the a, an episode. I think we should have an episode that talks about this Howard soccer program from seventy one to seventy five. Cause they were on another level. It, they were on another level. It was ridiculous. Like it was ridiculous. It was, man, I don't think. And I haven't really kept up with college soccer like that. But to have a team that won a national championship in 71, get it stripped, get to the national semifinals in 72, gets banned in 73, comes back and obliterates the field in 74? Like, that's insane. It, it's ridiculous. And that obliterating just like, oh, they were winning games. No, this team went on a 19-game winning streak. 19-0 and 0. <laughs> That was it's their record. 63 goals. They only gave up six. 63 goals in 19 games. I just want people to just... I mean, you can pause your, your, your player right now and just think about that. 19 <laughs> games. 63 <laughs> goals. Like, that, that is insane. That and you only insane. let in six. Yeah, only let in six. Like, they let in six for fun. Probably only... I'm not going to say match fixing, but... <laughs> <laughs> just like, all right, we're tired of blowing our team. Score a goal. We got to get this game going somehow. But, I mean, yeah, I, I really want to have a podcast dedicated to the Howard team alone. But while he was at Howard, he also had one hundred and sixteen games. I think 19 losses and 11 draws. But I think Howard really – if there's any time period that you really want to focus on Lincoln Phillips, it really is the Howard years. It, it How is. It much definitely is. He not only had an impact within soccer, not at the school, but in that region and in that area. I mean, think about it. This is the first time ever. This is the only Division One championship among HBCUs. In any sport, basketball, football, baseball, track field, it comes from soccer. A sport that we have said multiple times is not a predominant sport in the black community. So to win a national championship, and it wasn't like he was winning this with predominantly white teams or teams that were greatly mixed. No, he was going out and recruiting guys from the West Indies, Africa, the Caribbean, and giving them opportunities to come play the game of soccer here in America. But not only far further than that, but winning and dominating. Like, only thing that I can compare it to is how when USC and football went to Alabama, I think in the 1970s, probably around the same time, mm-hmm. and they played Alabama, and they beat Alabama against the Alabama team that was predominantly white. And Paul Brown was like, yeah, you see them on the USA team? Give me some of them. Yeah. <laughs> Bring them here. <laughs> and you, I mean, you see you see it in, in a lot of different sports. Um, but the one that stands out for me the most is within basketball. If you look, for example... Oh, that's why so many examples of it. I mean, you, you look at, for example, a lot of... Look at players like Paul Gasol. Look at players like, um, I mean, you, you see a lot of these foreign players who you think to them to yourself, oh, they probably have some scout that went out, you know, into another. No, they, they came to American universities. They played basketball at American universities and were drafted from there. And that's, that's something that is, is, Rampant because you you we know that the infrastructure of the United States is always looked at as a big deal. 
mm-hmm. around the world, and especially from countries where they are partic- probably particularly struggling. So with that being said, you're going to have a lot of people from the Caribbean, from Africa, that's saying, oh, oh you, you want me to come and play soccer so I can go to school and play soccer? Absolutely. I get to come to the U.S., to the United States of America. That's why immigration is so big here. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that it was revolutionary for uh, Phillips to say, well, if we are allowing Africans, Caribbeans, Asians, Europeans, South Americans to come to the United States to study, why not let them come and, let them come and play too? Yeah, and he was way ahead of his time. I mean, also, like, he mentions how in 71 they played Clemson. And Clemson was all white. They had, well, let me correct that. They had one. <laughs> one black guy on the team. One black guy on the team. And they were like, uh, you know, Clemson, of course, gets blown out by Howard. The following year, 72, they played Clemson again. Clemson team looks completely different. Clemson they, team looked like NATO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they changed around everything. And Lincoln was like, did you paint your players black? Because this ain't the team we played last year. But it, it goes to show, and you mentioned that about how um, soccer, coaching is the only time that plagiarism is allowed. Plagiarism is allowed <laughs> and encouraged in but soccer. Anything, any other field you go into, it, coaching, is it, it, any other field you go into, engineering, journalism, law, history... If you plagiarize, you get kicked out of wherever you're at. Yeah. In soccer, you plagiarize, you take something that someone else did, and you put your own spin on it, you're applauded for it. Yeah. Pretty much. But, I mean, like, other schools started doing this recruitment policy of going to the West Indies, Africa, and the Caribbean, and getting these players to be like, hey, we want you to play here. Yeah. And Lincoln Phillips, he also, you know, um, he mentions in other articles as well. I think it was the Undefeated article about how, this is where the downfall of HBCU soccer and sports kind of takes that downfall because he was like, we don't have the finances and we don't have the equipment to compete with your PWIs. For those who don't know what PWIs are, predominantly white institutes, your Dukes, your Clemsons, your UVAs, mm-hmm. schools where the majority base is white. Yes. You know, and he was like, we couldn't compete with that, you know. I think one of the famous players on the team, um, Unwa Idigawu, he scored the winner in 71, left the team in 72 to go play for Clemson. Because he's like, I have a better opportunity here at Clemson to get to the professional ranks. You know, and we see that a lot. And I think it was, it's also a credit to Phillips and what he was able to do is that he was still able to recruit strong for a 10-year span. Where, you know, granted, soccer was never the most dominant sport in this era. It probably wasn't even the most popular. No, But still, he was still able to compete with the likes of the St. Louis's, the Clemson's and stuff. You know? Yeah. And that is unique to see. Well, I mean, it, it, we think of it now, of course, everyone has twenty twenty vision in hindsight. But you think of it now and you think of, okay, I can recruit from... You know, we can go and get, you th- you look at a university like Clemson, a yeah. university like UVA, like Duke, like Boston University. They're looking most of. I'm not just talking about within soccer. I'm just the school in general is looking for 
I know they don't intend to, but upper class. Yeah. But let's think about that upper class. That upper class is growing up, um, understanding that success comes from, in sports, comes from being the all-around athlete. I do football in the, in the fall and play basketball in the winter and run track in the spring, and I'm the all-around athlete. I'm the school's athlete all-star. But you turn into a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. <laughs> and now you compare that, so you take a kid who's playing soccer in the fall and basketball in the winter and playing lacrosse in the spring, as opposed to a kid who grows up in the streets of Senegal or the streets of Haiti or the streets of Jamaica, and when they get out of school, all they're doing is playing soccer. Yeah. Like, you get out of school, you play soccer. Summer vacation, you play soccer. Christmas break, you're playing soccer. Anytime you're not in school or studying, you're out with your friends playing soccer. And, not, and when I say soccer, I don't mean like rec soccer down the street where you're standing in a line to dribble through cones. No, this is like neighborhood versus neighborhood. This is the level of the World Cup kids playing soccer. That's what you live every day. Of course that kid is going to do way better than a kid who only plays soccer in the spring or in the fall. Yeah. And I mean, so, Lincoln Phillips, man, like, it's so much about him that I felt like you don't hear about, of course you hear about the 71 team. Mm-hmm. You hear about kind of what he did with Trinidad and Tobago. But outside of that, you don't really hear about it. You don't and hear I mean, about it outside of that, but within the places that he was, you do. Like, for example, at VCU, I know a lot of uh, former VCU players. Um, I actually coach alongside a lot of them. Even the even about twenty years after Lincoln Phillips had a five year span at VCU, they know his name. Yeah, you know they know that the way that they play here at VCU is because of something he brought to the table. Yeah. So he's a he's a name that all of the players there, or at least the ones that want to know, know the name Lincoln Phillips. So, of course, anyone outside of that, it's, it's, it's really strange to see how little... Just, and it's not... And it's, to be honest with you, it's not just black soccer players and black soccer coaches. Soccer players and soccer coaches, period, in the United States, don't get the acclaim they need. Um, and I think within the black community... <clears throat> that ties into following the trend, following the popularity. For example, you have a lot of kids when I was growing up, I went to a pretty mixed high school. Um, I went to a pretty mixed high school, but the only kids that made fun of me for playing soccer were the black kids. The white kids didn't make fun of me for playing soccer. But, and you had these kids, I'm, they're telling me about Kobe Bryant, and I, I know who Kobe Bryant is. Do you know who Kobe Jones is? I know who Michael Jordan is. Do you know who Eddie Pope is? I know who LeBron James and, and Carmelo Anthony are. Do you know Josie Altador? Do you know DeMarcus Beasley? And these 
people who are are people who have represented the United States all over the world at the highest level in a in a tournament that is watched by more people than there are in the United States double over. Well, that's why we created this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well let, let's get back on track. I had to let you go on your soapbox for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay, I'm, off, well, I'm off the soapbox. I'm all right, the soapbox. So, Ricky Phillips <laughs> is his Howard career. Two NCAA championships ahead. He gets back to 71 after they win the uphill. Two coaches of the year, 71-74. He leaves Howard and kind of has like a mid kind of break and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, it was kind of hard to figure out what he was doing in his 10 years, man. I figured he's still living in the D.C. area because his whole career happened in this area. Um, <clears throat> then he comes to Richmond, coaches at VCU, and leads VCU Rams to their first ever top 25 ranking. Yeah. Which is significant enough if you want to think about it that way. I don't know a whole bunch about college soccer, but it's significant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to this day, VCU is considered a powerhouse within the NCAA. Are they? Uh, they are considered they're not they're not a doormat. They're not okay. you know they're not a doormat of the NCAA and I'm sorry to any VCU fans that listen to this podcast. I'm not trying to disrespect your school. I'm sorry. Please do not tweet angrily at me. God, I don't want that. All right. Um but the other thing that's unique about Lincoln Phillips is not only does he also serve in the college you would think and this is before like we did our research on them. I only thought of Lincoln Phillips as a college coach because that's all we ever heard about. Having no idea he served as the FIFA staff goal instructor from 95 to 96. He was also the goalkeeper coach for the 94 US, U.S. men's national team. The team that made it to the World Cup. The team that did a very good job in the World Cup. This 94, 94 World Cup is here in the United States. And the United States did a very, very quitted themselves very well in that World yeah. Cup. And this is also a team that has Tony Miola, that has Brad Friedel on it. Like, two living legends of the go- world, of the goalkeeping world on it. Like, <laughs> I, I, mean, I would he, hate to be in that room and be like, all right, we started Tony today or we started Brad? <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a tough decision. And, that, that's a, and, and that's the reason why ever since around the time where, where uh, Lincoln Phillips was... Very key in the U.S. Uh, soccer scene. We've never had a poor goalkeeper. Think Tony Miola. Brad Guzan. Guzan is not a poor goalkeeper. Atlanta United. And? Uh, back, back to Lincoln Phillips. I know, I know. Because at the end of the day, you think about it. Tony Miola, Brad Friedo, Casey Keller, Tim Howard. Um, I mean, he definitely does. I'll give you this. Lincoln Phillips stats... He set he, he sets the, the foundation of what the U.S. goalkeeper is. Because in his book, he even talks about how the goalkeeper is, not only are they the first line of defense. They're the first line of attack. They're the, the first line, line, of, line of defense and the first line of attack. And yeah. it, it, it makes complete sense. And, and, and that's what the U.S. goalkeeper has matured into. Because before that, <laughs> speaking of someone that learned goalkeeper the wrong way was get the ball, protect the ball, kick ball long. Don't get scored on it. So I was once a, you kicked it long, that was it. Your job was done. Yeah, I was a horrible teammate. <laughs> I kicked yeah. the ball long to strikers and be like, well, yeah, my job is done. I'm <laughs> just standing back here waiting until something happens. But that it's only now you start to see when you watch when you watch game. How many times have you seen a goalkeeper get interviewed in a post 
match <laughs> interview. They done lost their voice because they're yelling orders throughout the whole game. They lost their voice. They, you can't interview them after no, the game. They're going to be whispering the whole interview long. <laughs> How did you do with the game? Well, <laughs> you know, it's... And it's it's because it's developed. It's developed into that eleventh player on the field. No. And it, Lincoln Phillips played a big part in that development and that evolution of the goalkeeper. Yeah, he definitely did. And I mean, after he leaves VCU, of course he goes to Loyola. He's a goalkeeper coach there. Um, also, he spends time with Trinidad and Tobago. He helps Trinidad and Tobago get to the 2006 World Cup as the technical director. And he comes back, I think 2019, as the head of scouting. So, it, like, yep. this guy is – that's why I say he is Yoda. <laughs> Like, yeah. he does so much stuff behind the scenes. Like, this dude is legit. Like, he is <laughs> legit, man. Like, <sighs> I love yeah, Lincoln Phillips. Uh, yes. He's, and, and, I mean, even leading up to that 2006 World Cup, he played a big part in uh, Trinidad and Tobago had a very, for the few years before that 2006 World Cup, had a very prolific international period. Like, U-17 men's, U-17 women's, uh, U-20 men's, making big-time appearances in World Cups of those age groups. And he played a big part in that development. Setting the foundations of what this team would look like. And not only in the men's game, but also in the women's game as well. And another thing that, you know, was sticking out to me is that he started the Black Soccer Coaches Association in 1988. Mm -hmm. He talked about it how... It was kind of being the rogue person. Like, Lincoln Phillips, you would think, is this quiet, mild-mannered person. No, that won't Lincoln Phillips. <laughs> no. Like, no. his prime examples throughout his life where he's not afraid to speak out against and speak for those whose voices won't be heard as much. And he mm-hmm. creates this organization, the Black Soccer Coaches Association, to get more black coaches into the game. It's still around today. Yes. You know, and... A very famous quote from him at the NCAA bank after they lost the St. Louis in 72 the way how they lost in 72 was not because they got outplayed. No, two of their best players got suspended the night before the game. Yeah. And Howard didn't want to have to forfeit the game when they beat St. Louis. So they was like, all right, sit out. You'll play in the final once everything cleared up. St. They don't win. And Lincoln Phillips does have to go to this banquet afterwards because I think they invited all the teams. And he pretty yeah. much says, we played against an entire wretched system of the society. Anytime they decide to get together to divide any people or what is due to them, I would say that the NCAA is guilty of practicing racism. St. Louis did not beat Howard University last night. They beat the remainders of what is left of Howard University. The placement quieted Phillips recalls, and he says to my sister, uh, he says to himself, Oh my God, what are you saying? What are you going to do after this? But I mean, it's like in that moment, you know. Phillips is correct. He's right in everything that he's it's saying. True. It's true. You know, and I what, think, what, I uh, think yeah. one of the biggest issues is they have no problem. And and this is it's it's I basically what I think Phillips is trying to say is you have no problem allowing us to play, but when we start winning is when you start worrying and when yeah. you start creating reasons for us not to win. And especially with, like, the 71 team, for instance, like, they win the title, handed over to St. Louis team that, up to that moment, correct me if I'm wrong, was a powerhouse. Yes. They beat that St. Louis team that was predominantly white. They get stripped of their two titles. They get stripped of the title because two players were considered ineligible because of SATs, and another two used up their college eligibility. 72, same issue occurs in the national semifinal when they play St. Louis. 73, they're banned from pro season. 74, they come back and run gunshot over everyone. 
and <laughs> reclaim their t- title. But it's like, at that moment, it being the only black head coach in that era, probably, you're thinking like, man, I got everything stacked up against me. And instead of just thinking about it in a negative way, he flips it into a positive and gets his players to buy in on it more. It kind of builds this, this nurturing system that we haven't seen probably since then, it's especially in the college ranks, you know? Because yeah. how many times have you seen the situation now where a school is suspended and players leave? Like, yeah. the players in 71 stayed. Yeah. It stayed through 72, stayed through 73, stayed through 74. And they, they saw that they... Uh, the thing is, they will always be remembered, especially within the Howard community. <clears throat> excuse me, within the Howard community. But... It's, Have it a drink of water show before you choke. I don't need you to die on this podcast. <laughs> it goes to show that it takes it takes that leader, and Phillips was that leader that even though things got rough, he was still able to keep them together and say, "Look, I know we got robbed last year, but let's come back stronger this year. Yeah. Let's come back stronger next year. Let's come back stronger the year after that." And to have that and, and to go into that last year and just steamroll everyone, steamroll your way through the season and win, it speaks volumes. I After mean, all, they had to go through. Yeah. I mean, even us doing the research and whatnot, we found a lot of, I think like early on, I was like upset because I was like, yo, I just want to find information on Lincoln Phillips. Like, I don't want to know about the Howard team yet. But it's like, <laughs> They're both intertwined. I understand why now because, yeah. and I think this is the impact of what who Lincoln Phillips is. You can't talk about Lincoln Phillips without Howard. You can't talk about Howard without Lincoln and what the impact that team had, not only in what they had overcome, but also in the culture of what's happening in that moment in that society. Yeah, and I mean he sets the foundation of not only Howard soccer, but also the foundation of Trinidad and Tobago. You know, because without Lincoln, does Trinidad and Tobago make it to 2006 World Cup? That's a good question. Do they exactly. have the foundations of, like, those players like Dwight York and mm-hmm. Shaka and things like that? Do they have that core foundation? Or do Dwight York and Shaka be like, well, hey, I'll go to England. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But to have a person like Lincoln Phillips in the room and say, like, hey, it ain't great. You're not going to get everyone. But to have those who be part of the moment is is. Is key, and I, you know, I'm all about giving a person that flowers when they deserve it. And Philip definitely deserves his flowers. But yes, anything he else, he deserves his flowers. Um, anything else before we wrap up, my good man? I think he needs a stadium named after him. Well, it took DC 20 years to build Audi, so we're gonna have to wait another 20 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anything else? I mean, oh, also he won a lifetime achievement award. Lifetime <laughs> achievement award has oh also has two um. Soccer two. schools? Yeah, two soccer schools. Two soccer schools. He has the uh, Lincoln Phillips Soccer School and the Top Flight Goalkeeping Academy. Yeah. He owns and directs those. He owns and directs those. <sighs> Dude, and he's with the Hall of Fame of like three Howards, the Virginia, D.C. Soccer Hall of Fame. And, and also right. Trinidad and Tobago Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, Lifetime Achievement Award, Hall of Fame's own soccer school is developing the youth wherever he can. He he is a great ambassador for the game. He is man. a wonderful ambassador for the game. Over the top. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I guess I'll do the links this time. 
Yes. <laughs> All right. So, first off, links we got is Virginia Hall of Fame, Jet Magazine, November 21st, 1968, the undefeated article covering the Howard 1971 team, SoccerWarriors.net player profile on Lincoln Phillips, Trinidad and Tobago introduction on Lincoln Phillips. We got it back from Weber talking about the Howard's uh, soccer team in 71, Howard history making men's soccer championship, The Guardian. Stars and Stripes, shout out to our boy Donald, Howard Finds Redemption, and of course ESPN's Spike League's Redemption Song. So, any last remarks about uh, our good guy Lincoln Phillips? Um, Lincoln Phillips, uh, the name needs to be remembered by more people in the soccer community worldwide, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, the quote to close you out this week is from the GOAT Kobe Bryant. Kobe B. Bryant. Rest in peace. It's magic within each of us that gives us the potential to inspire the world. I definitely think Lincoln Phillips inspired the world. He definitely did. All right. So, that's our third episode of Can I Kick It? All right. Yes, you can. So, as always, you can follow our show on River City 93. Um, leave us a like, subscribe, review, share the podcast with someone else. And as always, this is Elliot. This is Shanir. Catch us on the good side, guys. We'll catch you guys later. <laughs>